Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. If this is your uh, first time here at Hill City, uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and just grateful that you decided to spend a part of your Sunday uh, here with us. Um, it feels good for me to be back up here. I had, I had COVID a couple weeks ago and had to, when Nicole was here, I was like, hey, uh, can you preach for me uh, next Sunday? Because I was struggling, but um, just happy to be back and healthy. So if I cough here and there, get over it. Um, it'll, it, might, it might happen. But we're in this um, series called First Love, where we're taking a look through uh, the entire letter of Ephesians. And so if you're not familiar with your Bibles, um, the Bible's broken up into an Old Testament and a New Testament. The hinge point is the life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, um, and as the church began to start and was established, uh, these letters started going out to the churches. And this, this letter of Ephesians was one of them. Uh, the church at Ephesus wouldn't have been the only one to receive this particular letter. It would have circulated amongst uh, many of the cities and churches in that area. Um, but it was primarily uh, to the church at Ephesus and started there, and which was like the hub of Christianity at that point in time. And so um, Paul writes this letter, and as we've seen each and every week, um, what he's trying to get people to understand is that there's something being revealed in the life of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus in this story, and that through that story that's being revealed, that there's something, there's a reconciliation that happens, that we are reconciled to one another, we're reconciled <coughs> to God. And so when we start looking at this and how Paul is um, like really trying to like, like get us to understand understand that there's this huge story. Like, it's, it's dramatic. Paul talks about, like, things happening in the hev heavenly realms, and we'll soon get to talk about, like, this kind of spiritual warfare element that Paul gets into, um, what happens in us, what's supposed to happen in communities, and, and it's like this massive, dramatic story. How many guys like a good, like, dramatic story? Yeah, like, we all get into it, right? When someone's like, did you hear? Right? And you're like, is this gossip? I'm in. Right, like that's what we do. But we shouldn't do that, but that's what we do. But like we, like we get so like entangled in like a good story. And Paul wants us to know, he's like, man, this is, like, this is a huge, dramatic story that can reshape everything for you. And it reshapes the entire cosmos. And so Paul wants us to know this is what's being revealed and we'll be reconciled into something. And so um, what we're going to see here now is we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, you can take them out, but it'll also be up on the screen. But in Ephesians chapter 4 is this little pivot point. He goes from telling like this big story and he's going to keep talking about that, that part of the story. But he, he was, you know, the first three chapters like an overview of what the story of Jesus really means. And then he goes into this like kind of practical element. And in his practicality, he can get pretty aggressive here. We'll see that over the next couple of weeks. But um, in his practicality, he's like, listen, this is what it starts to look like for you to live this out. This big story, this dramatic story, like this is, this is what it looks like. And, and so that's going to see that now. And so he kind of goes into like coaching um, and becomes like, you know how like life coach is like a big thing right now? You know, it's like it's so hot right now, right? Being a life coach is like, like a big thing. And, and life coaches can be great. Like they're great strategists and they can be really good encouragers and help you set goals and everything. But what's interesting is what Paul would say is if your life coach doesn't lead you to Jesus, they aren't leading you to life. And so they're a strategist, right, which is fine. But what Paul's going like, to continuously talk about is like, if you want real life, and I'm going to coach you to that, but it's going to lead you to Jesus and a deep discipleship of Jesus, because that's where you're really made alive. And so 
if we're not, so whoever's coaching you, because we're all getting coached by something, and we're being discipled by something, and if that something's not leading you to a deeper discipleship and like connection with Jesus, then you aren't going to be alive, right? And so what Paul's going to do is like, all right, I want you to feel alive, I want you to know what life really is, and I want you to see this and feel this and know it and then live it out, and that's what we're going to see. And so when I started thinking about coaching, have you guys seen on college football in particular where they hold up the signs on the sideline? Like it looks like, I got, yeah, I got, it's like, it looks like this. <laughs> and here's what they are. Um, some of these are plays, all right? And some of them are just dummy signs. And so the, as the guys look to the sidelines, they're like, they know which board to look at and which section, and then they know which play to actually run. And so I'm kind of picturing this, obviously, like there's four teams playing today for the Super Bowl and everything. And so like Paul's like coaching us up here. When, you know, he's got something on the sideline. He's trying to tell us the play to run. So if you can kind of, process this for a second. It's like Paul's drawing up all these different routes for us. And so I was thinking about it this way. He's like, man, if, if this is you, all right, you're jacked. And, and so if this is you here, then what ends up happening here is, is all these things, all these people over here, this is the enemy. And they're trying to come at you, right? They're trying to come at you. But here's what God has done in this story of Jesus and his death and resurrection. He's got all these people here and he's blocking it. Um, I was reminded of it. I was thinking of this, uh, this song in 2005. Any gospel? Anyone love gospel music? All right. So in 2005, Kirk Carr, the song, God blocked it. Right? And I was thinking about that song all week. That, that, like, that, that the devil had a plan. The lyrics were, the devil had a plan. And it, and it was intercepted. And like, God blocked it. And then and I was like, that's what he did. Right? Like, and, so, and so that's what I was thinking about. Like, I said, man, this is what he did. So, so God, like, he blocks all of this stuff. Right? And here's what he lets you do. He lets you run all these routes. And let's run all these routes. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is these different routes that we can run. And Paul's going to like label these things out for us that become super important. So here's what we want us to see. Paul's on the sidelines right now. And he's giving us some signs. And he's like, one of these is the play. All right, one of them. All right. And, and you could probably guess which one he wants us to go to. Because all the other ones don't work. All right. And so he's got this play for us that he wants us to choose. So let's go. Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, all right? He's like, man, there's this part. He's like, I'm, I'm not just like telling you, I'm like aggressively pushing you to understand, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort so he's saying that like, man, there's something that you have to do. Like you have to make an effort. You have to put in this. A lot of times what happens when, when we kind of get into this faith thing and this Jesus thing, it's like we stop making an effort. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Like, you you got to keep doing this. Like daily, keep doing this. Make every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, uh, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So first thing I want us to talk about here is your calling. Your calling. Now, how many of you guys feel like you are um, living your calling out? Like when you go to work every day, you're like, ah. do you feel like that? So some of you do, which is great. And a lot of times when people say, hey, what's your calling in life? They refer, they refer to a vocation. They're like, what's your calling in life? Well, actually, was your calling in life to be a pastor? I was like, 
I, I mean, I ended up here. Um, I, I don't know if this is my, my calling, like in the beginning. And, and here's what I mean by that. When Paul starts talking about his calling, he's like, every one of us who would say that we believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, that you, you have a calling on your life. And if you don't believe and follow Jesus yet, um, you haven't tapped into your calling just yet. Even if you love your job. Even if you feel like, man, what I do, like, I, I just love it. I, I wake up every morning, I'm like, I'm excited to do what I do. But you still haven't, like, gotten to your calling yet. Paul says that every single person who ever follows Jesus has a calling on their life. And it's an interesting kind of way that he begins to talk about it. Because, like, that you have a calling on your life. What I want to stop, uh, I want to, we do have a secondary calling, and I'll get to that in a second. But I want us to, like, stop thinking that our calling is always related to what we do. See, your calling is related to who you are. And so what Ephesians 4 and what Paul is actually talking about here is like, man, this is really about who you are. And so your calling as a believer is to, to believe in the powerful, dramatic story, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and then be obedient to what he taught. That is your calling. Your calling is to believe in the powerful, dramatic life, death, and resurrection story of Jesus and be obedient to what he taught. That is your primary calling in your life. And so Paul's like, this is what it starts off with. Like, this is your calling. This is all of our calling. We all, every single person in this room, this is going to sound, this isn't how we talk, but this is the reality of what Paul's saying. Every single one of us has the same calling. And we all start, start there. The same primary calling is the same for each and every one of us. And, and maybe a better way to begin to think about it is this. Our primary calling is holiness, not a particular thing to do. When we think about holiness, this means we are set apart from Christ. That, there's, that we are attached to the realities of who Jesus is. That is our primary calling in our life. All right, now, do you have a secondary calling? Yeah, you could. You might find that in what you do. You might find that in, um, like, when you become a parent, sometimes people are like, oh, I, like, when I became a mom, when I became a dad, like, I was like, whoa, this is what I was made for, right? Some parents are like, for a time, this is what I was made for, you know? Um, it's cool when they graduate and move out. And so, like, that, like that's a reality, too. Um, but, but we see that, um, you know, and you might work at a job where you, like, love it. And you're like, man, I, this is, like, tapping into something. I'm like, yeah, you can have a secondary calling. Even for me, I, you know, I was kidding around earlier about, you know, is my calling a pastor? But, I, you know, for the first uh, 21 years of my life, my calling was to be an athlete. So I thought, right? And then uh, the next section of my life was I was in sales and business development. And that was my calling. And, and I loved it. And um, what, in that time, here's, here's, here's what I began to see and experience. No matter what you do in your life, even if you hate your job, you are called to follow Jesus in it. So if you're thinking to yourself, and I hate my job, I'm looking for something else, my boss is a jerk, your primary calling is still holiness where you work. Your calling when you go to work tomorrow is to work hard, to be an example of what it means to follow Jesus, to have a different set of ethics and boundaries in what you do than other people there because you're set apart with holiness for Christ. That is your calling. 
So you might hate that you're going to go to a job tomorrow, but here's what ends up happening. When you, when you have a holiness inside of you, and that becomes your primary calling, you actually go to that job thankful with a heart of gratitude. But Wags, you don't know my boss. I've worked for some really rough people. I'm guessing I know your boss. And here's the reality. When our hearts are in the right spot, that there's an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving that you have a job. Now, you can look for another one. You can. You could do all that. But your attitude is one of like, no, my primary calling here when I'm here is like, I just to be set apart for Christ in the midst of this. And people are going to know that. Not in like, not in like a, you know, kind of arrogant way that they're going to know it, but like, man, there's just something different. When I was in, I worked for an engineering firm and did sales and business development for them. And I was really like just on fire for Christ. Like I turned my, my, my life got turned around and, and uh, Lacey and I had, had just gotten married and, and, um, and I, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work really hard. I wanted to, to be really good at my job and I wanted people to see that I just had different ethics and kind of boundaries to what I did. So some people would go out sometimes and I'd be like, you know what, I'm going to go home to my wife. You know, we'd go out in conferences and people would, would, we would travel for a few days together and, and they would do certain things and they'd be like, Wags, you want to come? And I'd be like, no, 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 that's not what I do. And, and, and then eventually when it started happening, they would stop asking me, you know, but they respected me because I held to a certain conviction. And so, and that offered up different opportunities uh, for me within the company. And so, so what I'm telling you is like, man, you, no matter what you're doing tomorrow, you, you are called to holiness, you're call, called to follow Jesus, you're called to be set apart, and then something will start to happen, like even in that job that I loved, what started to happen was in the midst of just trying to, to serve people, um, we would, I would work, you know, 45, 50 hours a week, and, and I drove 48,000 miles roughly a year, like, you know, traveling around, and, um, but Lacey and I served at the church we were at. Um, we would probably serve at the church 15, 20 hours a week. I'm um, working with students and we do guest services stuff and, and everything. And, and here's what started to happen. Like as God just started chipping away, right? And he's like, hey, like I have you here for this season, but I'm going to now move you into something else. And, um, and what happened was, was because we just had like a, a, a kind of open-handed with God. And we're like, hey, we're just going to serve you where we are and trying to live faithfully for you, like where we are. And here's what God does. He, he then, if he wants to move you in a different direction, he will. And then you can hear him and like follow him because like you're just in tune with it because you've been set apart and you're in your calling. Now, the second thing that Paul does here is like you got some vision. You, you've got a vision. So you've, you've, another route is like you're calling and then you've got a vision for how this begins to work. When you embrace your primary calling, it's easier to clarify your vision. So for right now, if you're trying to think, man, I have no vision for my, I have no clear vision for my life, my guess is that you have not accepted your primary calling yet. I kind of faithfully engage that because when, what will happen is then the vision for your life becomes clear. There's a wholeness um, to what you begin to experience. Paul begins to talk about this in a way that, man, the rhythms of your life start getting in the right spot. Your priorities start being in the right spot. And, um, and this is what I'm saying, that, like, man, the, the strategies for your life um, start shifting and changing. You start prioritizing uh, the right things. Um, Paul does something, like, really interesting, and I want to go back up to it so you can see it. He says this, he says, make every effort to keep in the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And uh, 
I want you to count how many times he says one. He says there is one body, one spirit, just as you're called to one hope. You're called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. Uh, of all. How many ones were there? Good job, you guys. Math. Well, Paul does something interesting here with seven. This is just an interesting thing that Paul is Jewish, and so um, the number seven means complete. It means wholeness. And the way that you used to write things in the Bible, and in particular in, in the old uh, Hebrew text, was they would frame things by uh, numeric, like numeric numbers. So if they frame things by something with seven, like for instance, in Genesis chapter one, verse one, there are seven words in it in Hebrew. And so what it was, is like, oh, this is a complete thing. In, ver in verse 2, there's 14 words in it. So it's a multiple of seven. In the first four chapters of the Bible, the word for God is used 70 times. And so what they would do is they would frame things by this number of seven, because they were like, hey, this is a complete and whole thing. And so to us, listen, we, we gloss over this stuff, because this is not how we talk or think. But what Paul's doing here, he's like, hey, I want you to see this. I want you to see this vision for your life and for this to be like one hope, one God. And he does this, and he does it with seven things because he's, the listener at that time would have been like, oh, this means my life is whole when this happens. And so he's driving people into this thought process of saying that like, if you want to see your life be whole and complete and, and where you're supposed to be and have a very clear vision, then, then you'll see all this oneness. And it will reflect in all the things that he talks about as what we're supposed to be one with. And there's this unification that ends up happening. And so Paul's trying to like get us to understand, he's like, man, there is a way to feel more whole. The problem is, is we eliminate some of these things. And we don't get to the seven. And so Paul's like, if you can get there, I'm telling you, like, man, your vision for your life begins to change and you start running a different route. And you're more free in what you do. Everything begins to change with that, but you do it in community. So our wholeness as an individual is discovered in community shaped by the Spirit of God. Um, Paul stresses this all the time. You cannot do this whole faith thing on your own. You cannot do it separate from community. Um, the larger community matters, right? This stuff matters. Being able to celebrate together matters. The smaller community matters. Like, the expressions of the church can look so many different ways. And we, we love and value all of them, but you have to participate in them. You have to have them. You have to be in community with other people. And so that begins to challenge you and encourage you. We begin to call each other out when we need to, but we, we build each other up at the same time. And so that becomes part of this wholeness and have a clear vision for what, Paul, for what God has for your life. And then... What ends up happening when Paul's describing like, to, be, to be gentle, to be humble, to be patient, and all those different things, that happens. That only happens when we have like a, a sense of supernatural peace in us. Like if your life feels incomplete and you don't feel whole, you're not very patient, are you? If you're, if you're like bouncing all over the place, trying to figure things out, and you feel like, man, I'm empty inside, you don't feel a lot of peace, you don't feel a lot of humility, you don't feel a lot of patience. We're typically not gentle with people, but when we can step into our primary calling and have clear vision for our lives and have this oneness, what ends up happening is humility and gentleness and patience and peace will start to naturally overflow out of us. And Paul's saying, like, this is how you do it. This is how you begin to, to live uh, your life. He continues on in verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he, he ascended mean except that he also descended to the low, lower earthly regions? There's a lot there that I'm not going to get into. But he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What he's doing here is he's quoting Psalm 68. And um, you can go back and read Psalm 68. I would also encourage you to, whenever you read the Bible and someone references something else, you should always go read the something else to see why they're referencing it. And so Paul says that in Psalm 68 is this big story about this divine warrior. And so again, Paul's constantly like telling the story of Jesus in this like huge way, cosmic way, trying to get us to understand that stop trying to view this as like a, yeah, I mean, I follow Jesus and it's like, whatever. It's like, no, no, no. This reshaped the entire universe. This reshaped everything. And so, so we need to see it this way. And so Paul's like, hey, Psalm 68, like this is what happened. It's about the story about this divine warrior. And this divine warrior, um, because he is ruler and a ruler overall, that he can give gifts to his people. And so that's what Paul begins to uh, reference here. And so he continues on in verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, this is important right here, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So if we don't do those things and use those gifts, we won't be built up, right? So, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So when we begin to see this, and oh wait, actually let me continue on. Then we will no longer be infants tossed and back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, the third thing that we see here is that you have a role. You have a role to play. So this is like the, the route. He's like, all right, you've got your primary calling. You can understand that. You've got a clarity of vision for your life now. And now you have a role to play in it. Uh, you know, one of the things that we say here all the time is um, we, don't, we, we don't want you to consume. We want you to be contributors. So we don't want to be consumers. We want to be contributors. We want you to, to figure out how to be, even be self-feeders. Like that's part of this. And so we begin to understand that, man, there's a bigger calling to our lives. We understand that we have a different vision. It's like, okay, now I have a role. I have a role to play uh, within this. And Paul lists out five different roles. Now, in these roles, they have giftings. And so what we're going to see here when I put up the chart uh, is that you're going to fall into one of these roles in some capacity, all right? And um, now there's other giftings that go beyond what we, this is like a very general, when he does the five, it's like it's a very general list. There are a lot of other spiritual gifts and things that God does and instills in us that you have, all right? But we're not going to go through all those today, but I want you to see how he lists out those five. He says, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all right? And so when he lists these out, there's some things that go along with them. He's like, man, this is part of the church, that within the church body, like, we all have these different giftings, and they all have to work together, and, and, but even these giftings have some weaknesses, and we've got to understand what those weaknesses are, because we need the other people. So um, he says the apostles, they're like visionaries, they're pioneers, they're dreamers, 
But their weaknesses can be that they leave people behind, right? So they need shepherds. Um, the prophets, they want to know God deeply, challenge and correct people. Um, but the weakness can be they get judgmental. They lack grace. Um, they ignore gray areas of conversation. Uh, you have evangelists that are really good at recruiting or witnessing. You're hyper-focused on like everything outside of the church. A weakness can be you could be overcritical of what's happening inside the church. Uh, you have pastors, which are caretakers. They see needs. They're good at closing gaps. Um, a weakness can be they can get like really tunnel vision. Um, one of the reasons that it's hard for um, churches in particular um, to continue to stay healthy over a long period of time is because if there's someone who has a gifting of being a pastor, like, and that's kind of leading it, then get tunnel vision and things can shift and change so quickly around them, they never adjust. Um, but the other thing can happen too is someone's got like an apostle like, and is leading the church. Um, they can like not take care of people very well and so they can go like high really fast and all of a sudden people are like, yeah, but like I don't feel loved here. And so that can happen. And so we see the beauty of all these gifts working together and why we need all of them. And then you have teachers. They're detailed about scripture and they make it applicable and the weakness can be they make it more about the head than the heart. And so what Paul is like, he's kind of referencing all these things and he goes, and here's what happens with these giftings. They're done, and, and what we do here in, for like our staff, for instance, for people that lead different parts of our community, it's like we're trying to equip people to go out. We too, as leaders, go out and do works of service. But the primary call of like what we're doing here in the church is like we want to equip people so that we go out and do the work, we do the works of service. And so is this important to gather together? Yeah. What else is important? Discipleship is incredibly important. I would actually say it's more important than this. But this is important to gather together this, but discipleship is critical to your faith. And in that, and as you begin to grow in your faith, it's like, oh, I'm beginning to know what my giftings are and what, it, what produces life in me. And then in that, then we go out and we do the work. Paul's like, this is how the body works. And then we each kind of cover for each other's weaknesses. Um, you all know you have weaknesses, right? Yeah. Right? How many of you guys lead other people in, in any kind of way? They know your weaknesses. They do. Right? But what do you do? You, you put people around you that cover those weaknesses and you build a great team. And so what Paul is saying here is like, this is how the church works, that we need everyone together. This is why um, it can be so painful when someone leaves a community or, you know, kind of bounces around. It's like, oh, you're just, but we need your gifting. Or this is why it can be so difficult when someone just sits and, con like, and consumes and doesn't actually contribute. Because it's like, man, you're robbing the rest of the church body from your giftings. That's why we want you involved in a part of things. And so we begin to see things very, very uh, differently. So even when you think about the giftings, how about this for a question to wrestle with? Why would you not want to pursue something that is gifted by God and for our ultimate fulfillment and freedom? So... God says, I'm going to gift my people something that will give you life and freedom. Why would we not want to pursue that? Why would we not want to discover that? This God-given gift that will bring life to your soul, freedom to your life, and have this impact and build up the body of Christ. It's important, and every little thing is important. You know, we've we talked about this before, joked around about it before, that, you know, there's always, like, when you think about the body of Christ, how every ligament and every piece is important. And, you know, you think about someone's body, and you're like, you might have, like, this thought, like, yeah, but I want to be 
the bicep because it's strong, right? I want to be that. Or like, I want to have like, I want to be the hand, like it's a good grip, but like no one wants to be the pinky toe. But you just might be. But have you ever hurt your pinky toe, right? You hurt your pinky toe and like it hurts to walk. Like you need your pinky toe. And so that's what I'm saying, that like every little piece of the body matters and you're a part of it. Why would we not want to discover it? Or, or how about this? What answer will you have for God if he asks you how you use the gifts he gave you? Someday, we'll stand before him and have to answer some of these things. And can you imagine, God's like, hey, what'd you do with those gifts I gave you? Wasn't that so cool? And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, what? Or, hey, what'd you do with those gifts I gave you? Wasn't that so awesome? You know, I was just like real busy. The kids, like they, they were just, there was so much. We traveled a lot. You know, we were like, like I was like, me and my husband, like, or me and my friends, like, we just loved to travel. We just weren't, like, really that involved. But I gave you these gifts. You're like, I know, but, like, I just really like to travel. He's like, cool. I mean, can you imagine, like, why would we not want to stand before God? And he's like, what did you do with the gifts? He's like, God, I cannot believe you graced me with these gifts. And here's what I got to do. He's like, I know. Do you remember do you remember when you had that conversation? Do you remember when you served that person? Do you remember when you, and you, and you start going there and, and you're like, I know, that was like life in my soul. But we only experience that when we want to understand our calling, have clear vision, and understand our role in the midst of this. And here's the last part, your maturity. Your maturity. What Paul begins to say here, he's like, man, here's what starts to happen. We see our calling, we have clear vision, People are understanding their roles, and then you become mature. So we're not tossed back and forth with like the next cultural fad. It's like sometimes in the, like some of these conversations around theology and scripture, like what does the scripture say about sexuality? What does the scripture say about this? Some of it's exhausting because it's like, do we actually want to approach scripture in a way that like we're like, oh my gosh, like. We're trying to figure out what the God of all creation wants for us, or do we want to approach it through our next cultural fad? And so what Paul's saying is here is like, man, when we understand our calling and vision and a role, what starts to happen is like we then start approaching topics in a mature way because we have Christ-like vision and perspective. And we begin to like, all right, let me enter into this. Now we might, sometimes we might disagree and like some of the stuff's hard to figure out and I understand all that. But our approach is so different. When we see like what happens in a church, a mature church will protect one another from the drama that the world is always offering. The next, y'all think about this. Like pick a topic from the politics to the virus to masks to whatever. Can you imagine if like, Christians just got together in the moment and they were just like, hey, like, what's the mature, wise, loving thing to do around this? Let's hit pause for a second. See, when we aren't mature, what do we do? We jump to a side really quickly. And we see the divisiveness start to happen and we're no longer one. And Paul's like, we're just getting blown around way too easy. And we see this everywhere. So Paul's just like, hey, a mature church will protect one another because there's so much wisdom and we're enjoying each other's gifts in the midst of it. Even think about this. 
even within our own thinking just as individuals and processing as individuals, there are things that we do um, and lies that we tell ourselves, right? But when we understand our calling and we have good vision and we understand our role and we're doing this within community, what ends up happening is we stop believing the lies that we tell ourselves. Like even think of like, um, how many of you guys have a behavior that's self-defeating? It's okay, right? But, but think about this, that every self-defeating thought and behavior in your life is based off of a lie. And so what ends up happening, what ends up happening is as we become more mature, well, how do we do that? Well, when we're all serving in our giftings and our roles and we're in community and we're doing this stuff together, it's like someone's like, man, like this is like really hurting my, my, my life. There's a grouping of people around them. This is the oneness. That's like, no, 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 let me build you up. Let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Let me, let me help you see something else for your life that you cannot see right now. Let me like, experience this truth that begins to look very different. You start speaking truth into lies that are all around us. So here's what I want us to process. The band, you guys can come back up. You know, Kevin, I was on guest services team. We were talking uh, this morning. He made a comment. He goes, you know, so much of what we see culturally is built off of a spirit of like wanting control and a spirit of fear. And that's not what like mature...